0: Well, a few days back, it was April Fool's Day, and every year on April Fool's Day, we release our annual fool or forecaster report. And this year we put together a bank scorecard. Do any of them do a good job of forecasting the property market? Which ones are the most reliable? download our free full or forecast report which experts can you trust to get it right the elephantintheroom.com.au we've been looking at the predictions for the 2021 property market and comparing them to what actually happened did anyone get it right after all what an unexpectedly hot year it was who should we have listened to should we have listened to anybody And I had a bit of fun researching and uncovering three compelling reasons why we need to be very careful of relying on what the experts say. One, their track record. Two, they rarely agree with each other. And three, we fail to hold them accountable. More about that coming up. And you can download your free 2022 bank scorecard now on the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au. Okay, Chris, let's tackle the track records first. Now, you looked into some data going back to 2014 and compared it to what actually happened. What did you learn?
1: Yeah, so it was an interesting research assignment, I guess. Um, And, you know, I wanted to use actual released bank reports rather than, you know, media um, grabbing points out of reports. So it was actually hard to get them, you know, back in, in, you know, you know, five, six years ago, but we ended up getting them for NAB all the way back to 2014. And, you know, when we look at the sort of forecast as well, banks are always very similar in terms of what they're predicting. And so I'd, I'd like to say that a lot of the banks probably, you know, got these same mistakes wrong. But if we look at sort of, you know, 2014, you know, they, they suggested house prices would go up 6% across the country, but, and that was kind of right. They only went up around 6%, but they completely underestimated, you know, how hot the Sydney market boom was going. Um, and they were also maybe a bit optimistic sort of with Perth in 2014. So that was the two sort of things they got wrong, or the other states just thought you know, were pretty close and, you know, similar growth to what they forecast. But in 2015, you know, we remember at that time as well, Um, you know, a lot of people thought the boom would slow down, but it didn't, Mm. um, it actually just went on another run and they completely underestimated the growth in the Sydney market again, thinking it might only grow by 4% and it did 11%. Same Mm. in Melbourne, they thought it might go up by two or 3%. It went up by 8%. Um, and another real story there is they probably thought Brisbane was going to be stronger than it was and it wasn't. Um, and they, they thought Perth would still stay strong and it actually went backwards. So you know you can see there they didn't get it right in in 2014 on a you know maybe at a macro level of the number but then they completely underestimated the boom the same again in 2015. 2016 was a bit of a, a shock for them again because they said oh no the market's going to slow down um and sydney went on another rampage and did another 13 percent and the same in melbourne they actually thought melbourne would fall in 2016 and it went up nine percent um they've sort of switched on to perth here and thought well struggling a bit here because it dropped 4% last year and it ended up dropping another 4%. But they thought that, you know, house prices wouldn't, you know, property prices wouldn't go up in 2016, but they actually went up 8%. So I'd say they've got it wrong. You know, they haven't just they've completely underestimated the power of the market and the the um, the demand in that sort of boom. In 2017, yeah, I think they, they started to, to get it right because naturally affordability started to kick in in 2017. Um, They were pretty bang on in Sydney. They still underestimated how much it would, you know, um, go up in in Melbourne because Melbourne still kept kicking a little bit later than Sydney. So I think they did pretty well in 2017, but I think they didn't know. And at the start of 2018, they thought, well, um, yeah, the market's going to be just a slow cool down. But what they didn't know is the the impact of the credit crunch and the the Royal Commission. And so it actually fell a lot more than they were expecting. Um, So they thought maybe it would be zero, Percent across the country and it actually fell five percent so they've completely underestimated the downturn i guess and the impact of the royal commission and then when they went in back into 2019 they were forecasting you know quite significant force to continue but if you look at the 2019 years that was the year the market bounced back um and so (laughs) if you were basing your decisions on the banks here you would have potentially got out of the boom way too early then you would have potentially um got in too late because you would have said well i'm not going to buy because the all the banks are thinking prices are going to fall this year well actually tw- at early 2019 was the ultimate time to buy you know it was actually mm. um you know pre sort of i mean there was the liberal Labor sort of thing that was but this is the problem with forecasts you, you know the information they're basing it on isn't sort of set in stone um and that impact isn't widely known so um you know they would have thought maybe the negative gearing things the credit crunch would have been um you know much harder and the royal commission and then bang um they were over 10 percent out in sydney they thought five percent down and went five percent up and so they've completely missed it so i would say the track record pretty poor up to 2019 they keep getting it wrong each way um 2020 was was an interesting obviously that was COVID. um and uh, they were all expecting it to be a bit brighter than it was, but you know that's that's the other issue with forecasting. You know these black swan events like COVID come in, um, and you know the growth wasn't anywhere near what they probably thought, um, just because of you know what happened in 2020. Um, but 2021 was the big one that they all missed. You know all the banks thought growth might be you know around you know, 5 to 10% um, in the different cities, but we all know prices went up, you know, 25% in Sydney, you know, 27% in in Brisbane, um, 30% in Hobart, you know, they thought maybe 5% in Hobart. So they got it completely wrong in 2020. And so, you know, up to today, I would say they haven't been close any year besides, you know, maybe 2017, they had a good year just calling the top of the boom. Um, (laughs) And that's about it. Every other year, they've sort of got it wrong. And so, Track record is not looking good if we're going to use that as a reason to believe them.
0: So it's pretty scary, isn't it? You think, okay, these are economists that we look up to and in the research that that I was doing to, you know, put together this report, this year's report, you know, I came across this term called authority bias. You know Mm. how we love our behavioural biases on the elephant in the room and the authority bias being that us, the punters, will give more credence in many respects to a bank economist because they're, you know, they are respected. They're, mm. they're held up in high esteem. Um, a lot of them have got doctorates. You know, they're all very smart people. And so we just sort of say, well, the bank said it's going to go down. And yep. despite the fact that they have this, and this is just one bank, they've all got similar records. Yeah. Um, it's just that we don't actually have the ready access to all the data in the same way we do with NAB. Um. And so, you know, I I looked into, well, okay, well, who predicted these other huge events, you know, such as GFC or Brexit or the fallout from from either of those and who accurately got that right, you know, and I was starting to research, well, how many economists actually predicted the GFC? And I found, look, I think the the, I don't have the exact amount because – Apparently, I found all these other argument, all these other articles around people that claimed that they predicted it, but they didn't really. And <laughs> it's yes. all this sort of, well, how do you define who predicted it? But there was one article that uh, was put out by CPA Australia that I read that sort of po- pulled out six economists that they say predicted the GFC, and one of them was Australian. Do you want to have a hint, uh, guess I don't think you've read this part of the report yet, have you, Chris? Do you have a guess at which economists predicted oh, well, it? Well,
1: I think I have a, you know, it's obviously Steve Keen, yeah? That's, <laughs> yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> uh, but he's and always, so- he's
1: like a um, Harry Dent, you know, uh, no offence to Steve, um, you know, he's, he's one that's always predicting a massive fall in prices and he's um, never updating his prediction to current prices because, <laughs> you know, if it was 40% what you said in 2006 or 2008 or whenever you were making these big bets... Um, you know, you've got—is it still forty percent on that price, or is it forty percent on today's price? Because um, it'd be a lot bigger than a forty percent drop today to get back to what you thought it would have been.
0: Yeah, the the thing with him, which was quite interesting, is that he he has been railing against the high amount of debt um, yeah. that you know in in our household debt and the debt you know propping up the property propping up the property market in this country. So he's been a long you know a long hill proponent against um, the amount of debt that that is you know fueling us, our economy, I guess. Um, so that's sort of his rationale, that there's so much debt, so therefore it's got to crash. Um, yeah. it, it's sort of oversimplifying it, of course. I mean, he is a doctor. He is a professor. Um, but if someone could actually predict the GSC, yes, it's like, well, I keep predicting something that's really dire and eventually something will happen, and I go, yay, I was right. Yeah. Or... Do you look at what else is predicted? And, you know, he's the one who's famously had to walk from Canberra to Mount Kosciuszko because he lost a bet back in 2010, I think it was. And Mm -hmm. so yeah, he continues to to predict, like you say, the similar things. In fact, there was one in 2018, I think. He's predicted um, 50... 40 to 70% falls in Australian property prices. And I think it was Peter Switzer that asked him, you know, when's that going to happen? And he said, give it five years. Yeah. <laughs> so he might well yet be proven right. But I think the point really around this isn't so much about Stephen Ken, It's more about, well, you know, these are really big, Events with a lot of signs pointing to- towards them that, of course, in retrospect and the benefit of hindsight, everyone goes, Oh, of course, you know, you could just see it all lining up, ready to yeah. happen. And yet, even with all of that, there's something like 3,000 economists, according to the R- RBA in Australia. Um, practicing economists. Apparently, not all of them have a degree, by the way, interestingly enough. So they call themselves, I don't know how, how they get to do that, they but. Like accountants, um, yeah. <laughs> not quite. You have to have a degree to be an accountant. Yeah. Um, you don't have to have a degree to be a buyer's agent, though. But um, so, you know, the economists that are calling themselves economists that aren't necessarily degreed economists, there's 3,000 of them in the country, and only one of them apparently predicted the GSC. So what does that say?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess it's just the difficulty in, you know, predicting those real black swan events, you know, that was a pretty horrible sort of outcome, you know, to see that coming. I mean, you might be able to see it on paper, the the stats showing that but to actually then just say it's going to happen this year and this is how it's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's very hard. And obviously COVID is another one of those things that, or, you know, the war in Russia and the impact of that on inflation, Mm. et cetera. And so... It's all these things that happen during the year that you look back a year later and go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. But every year something new happens and it completely pushes um, what you thought was going to happen out of the way. And basically, your forecast is just sort of ruined. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the interesting thing with all this forecasting is, though, is that it just sells papers. Um, mm. This was selling, you know, massive headlines when all the banks come out with this forecast. Every year and every quarter they get more media. Um, and so they're just feeding the beast um, and the media just lap it up because whether it's up or down, it's it's a great news story.
0: Well, even at the moment, though, and it begs the question, you know, is the chicken and the egg question, are the headlines enough to sway the market or are they refle- reflective of the market, right? So mm. uh, I think you know, maybe it's that overconfidence effect. I think maybe the banks, the bank economists maybe think that they are in a position to have an impact on the market because it does seem to be that some of these predictions come out before we start seeing any evidence of market turn. And then it's like everyone starts talking about self-fulfilling, you know. So I think that's, uh, I guess we're in that one of those stages at the minute, you know, this after the first quarter of um. 2022 and we are definitely seeing a, a slowdown and a and we've talked about it with Kent you know a slowdown in, in specific in certain markets and um what will that mean it's a it's a downturn or just a slowdown who knows but um and how much impact is you know are those headlines actually having um, yeah I mean I think it was interesting I think um
1: you know CBA were predicting that 2022 um was going to be a bit of a tougher year you know when you compare that to what ANZ and Westpac were thinking this year. They both so Westpac thought Sydney, for example, were going to rise six percent, and ANZ said nine percent. Um, ANZ thought Brisbane was going to rise sixteen percent this um, this year, and Westpac said ten. And so they're very positive on the market. Um, but you can already see in Feb that was sort of the December sort of predictions. In Feb, Westpac said no, we were wrong we thought Sydney was going to grow six or an 8% in Melbourne, but now it's zero, you know, because (laughs) new data's come in. Inflation's a lot higher than people expected. Interest rates have looked like it increased faster. Um, We think that that fear is going to play into the market. And so in three months, they've changed their forecast dramatically. Um, And so that just shows that, you know, their last forecast was basically worthless because it hasn't even expired. Three months later, they basically throw that out and bring in something completely different. Um, And who's to say three months time is is not another whole new forecast. So that's the problem with it is new information comes in and it's basically invalid, you know, even in a quarter, that's how short it is.
0: And yet you get people talking about it and acting on it. You know, in July, 2021, Finder does a an RBA cash survey every month. Yep. I think it's every month, and in the middle of last year, out of their panel of forty experts and economists, twenty eight made a call on New South Wales house prices. With sixty eight percent of them, so just over two thirds of them, predicting that prices would peak before the year was out. Right, that left a third disagreeing, um, and actually the third that disagreed were right. Even though things have slowed down, you look at the Core Logic Home Value Index released on the 1st of March, 2022. It showed year-to-date dwelling prices had actually increased in Sydney. Okay, a tiny amount, but still increased by mm. half a percent. And the rest of New South Wales by 3.3. So growth is undeniably slowed across the state. However, prices haven't peaked. So once again, if people are saying, oh, well, two thirds of these experts um, agree, I'm going to go with the wisdom of the masses, you know, yeah. that. Um, but, you know, if those experts can't agree i mean really who can the punters choose to rely on you know
1: (laughs) yeah i do think a lot of this stuff is um you know a bit pointless to be honest to sort of track um because you know we're actually not i actually know a lot of people think oh we're not going to talk the market up and we don't think the market's going to fall i actually do you know and i know chris joy is probably one of the you know, the most respected out there. He's called the market on the way up. He called the market down and also back up much earlier than people. And he's calling the market to drop quite significantly, 15 to 25%, I'm pretty sure he said um, back in October. And they're massive falls. And I actually do think that, you know, the the numbers aren't going to look quite pretty over the next few years if interest rates do jump quite significantly. And it's likely that, you know, they are going to jump a, a fair whack. How much is is a bit unknown depending on how much it slows down the economy and, you know uh, how scared homeowners get with their mortgages and stop spending etc um but you know that even if the market does slow down and um a lot of pockets do fall in value that doesn't mean that the property you want to buy in your street um and is going to be cheaper in in two years time or you're going to be able to buy it any easier than you can um this year and i think that's what's always lost in these stories is that um yeah sydney could fall but that doesn't mean the type of property you want to buy or, or own is actually even falling
0: well we are seeing that on the ground in Sydney yep. and every agent is saying it to me, oh, yeah, it's just gone back to the good old days where the good stuff gets competition and the bad stuff is hard to sell. Yeah. And that is a normal market, right? You know, I think that, um, that interestingly enough, I was listening to one of Stuart Ween's podcasts the other day about will interest rates, you know, result in price falls and he actually has got a chart there and I put the link in the show notes here. He's got a chart there that tracks, sort of, I think it's Australian house prices, um versus interest rates over the past i think 30 years yeah reopen the chart and there's actually no correlation and then you know and i comment, commented i sent sent a message about it and he sent me a a, a screenshot of a tweet from the kook that was basically you know he was basically saying the same thing he said you know when will economists stop saying that the interest rates go up or down and the prices naturally follow yeah. it's not necessarily it yeah it's very loose the correlation even looking at that data I was like oh that's quite in- I always it seems it, and this is the thing too we go oh that seems that seems sensible that mm. seems believable and understandable but or logical um but it isn't necessarily the case so I think that we all need to be a bit more you know have a bit more interrogation into what we're believing you know because as we talk here this is why we do this report every year because it's just like hang on a minute stop just following this stuff like sheep, you know, start questioning, start looking a bit deeper, start looking at what falls in value. I mean, I wrote that, I wrote a report um, back at the end. When did I write it? It was beginning of 2019 actually. And I looked at data, price, properties that had sold – that have been purchased in the lead up to the peak of that market and then sold within 18 months of that peak. And how many of them had sort of lost money versus held their own versus made a small profit? And some actually did make a small profit in that time. So it is not true that every single property loses value. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I've done loads of case studies over the years on that and that. But another one about economists or um, uh, experts agreeing, so in March 22, so Um, Very recently, the Scope Economic Survey, which has been published in the Herald, 17 out of the 20 experts gave predictions for 2022 Sydney prices. And they ranged from a 3% fall to a 20% (laughs) increase. (laughs) And only one forecast negative growth and two predicted 20%. And the vast majority, 70% of them, sat between 0 and 6%. So with that sort of spread... You know, how could you how could you possibly go, oh, well, I'm going to go with that one? You know, 16 gave predictions for 2022 Mel- Melbourne prices, which were generally less optimistic, were ranging from a 5% fall to a 16% increase. You know, two of them forecast negative growth, two are in double digits, and the remaining 12 sat between zero and eight. So as with before, the finder survey, the majority were wrong the minority were right in this lot, What do you do? Do you go, if you're going to go with the minority, you go to the big minority or the small minority? I mean, it's just a bit crazy, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting though, like cause you, late last year, you know, there was a lot of heat behind the market. APRA came in with their sort of uh, redu- increasing the serviceability buffer, which reduced borrowing capacities, which was just sort of try to scare the market because it was just so out of control. And um, the big fear that was what's going to happen at the start of, um this year is that prices were going to jump like they did at the start of 2021 and um that's what was you know we were probably all thinking about but then bang interest rates around the world really jumped up fixed rates jumped up um you know inflation figures the media jumped on it um and you know i think it's just a lot more stock came on the market you know not great stuff to be honest um and you know buyers are a bit nervous sellers are a bit um nervous as well and the competition isn't there, and prices are starting to level off, and the stuff that's not that great, people aren't willing to compromise on because mm. they're scared about interest rates, and so you can show how fast things sort of flip on sentiment. Um, you've got the sort of Westpac surveys around time to buy, and you can see that that's actually at really all time lows. You know, it's uh, they they you know the last few years it's been at all time highs, and so. Um, yeah it, it's just crazy how fast things can move and it's the dangers with trying to be out there and make forecasts you know on macro levels is because um yeah especially in the property market i think in the share market it's a bit different you know you sort of you can buy the index but in the property market you've always then got to just go down to your property and your suburb and your street and then look at the quality of your asset now there is a bit of danger there because if you paid a big price last year um for a compromised property um then you are in a bit of a, a, a danger period, I believe, over the next couple of years. If interest rates jump up quite dramatically, you could potentially—and you have to sell for a life reason, death, divorce, you know, um, you know, just lifestyle change, financial instability, etc. Um, you might not be able to, you know, recoup that price in 2021 if it's a compromised property and you bought in a boom. Um, and that's one of the risks of people buying last year, and that's even in quality suburbs. So. Um, Yeah, we're not there to say that, you know, just the suburb saves you. It all comes down to the property within that suburb. 100%.
0: And I've got, as I said, case study after case study that that demonstrates that. Um, Now, Chris, you compared bank forecasts for 2020 and 2021 against what actually happened. Was there, and you mentioned earlier, there's a bit of synergy in those forecasts. Um, Was there anything notable? 2021 was it everyone was just so
1: off you know it was just a a year that no one predicted right you know like everyone no one thought sydney would go up 25 percent um westpac said three percent look at, you know that's in sydney um you know brisbane they said eight percent you know 28 percent went up i think it was interesting the brisbane story is that a lot of people were sort of thinking it would boom and it sort of didn't um that and and i think a lot of people in in the You know, the 2014 to 2019, I think people underestimated the downturn in Perth. I think that was um, the the big thing. I did NAB didn't do too much on Hobart. So Hobart was another sort of surprise story, I guess, in that sort of, you know, 2017 to 2020 period where it's growth. Um, So I'd say 2021 was just a year where no one predicted anywhere near the growth that, that actually happened. Um, and that's just as bad as over-predicting downfalls. You know, it's actually worse because if you're if you're not make if you think there's no urgency in making a property decision because the mm. Westpac said Sydney's going to go going to go up three percent and it went up twenty five percent. Well, thanks for that Westpac. I'm um, glad we listened to your um, your advice.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a worry, isn't it? And I think um, I was I listened to this podcast called the Being Human podcast. This economist called John Kay, an English uh, British economist. And he's written this book called Radical Uncertainty. And so he's basically, you know, I guess he's posing the question, question, well, can risk really be quantified using probability? And he's really bringing it into managing, like a management style book, I guess, in terms of how do you manage risk that you can't possibly predict, you know, all these unpredictable things. The most certain thing about the world at the moment is that something uncertain is going to happen. You know what I mean? It's like we all know. If when we look backwards, oh, yeah, that year was weird, it had this happen and that happen. And it's like every single year there's something more uncertain. We've got floods, we've got war, you know, World War Three. I mean, at the minute, you know. So you've got all this stuff going on and every time we go, oh, that's because of that, that's because of that. Mm. But the reality is that this change is constant, really. And so predicting when you actually are trying to mathematically map it out in using known formulas and known models... Assuming that you actually can predict all the the, um, I guess the inputs, every input and and every variable into those models, it's it's a bit arrogant, really, don't you reckon? Yeah, and I just don't think um, people get
1: really lost in the numbers. I think with with property, I think with when you, I do think that you should be thinking about property from a risk point of view first, right? And say, well, you know, what is the risk of buying this property? You know, um, what could change to the city? Etc and try to reduce that risk, you know, what could happen to the neighbors property? Well, it's, you know It's a heritage listed house on a good street and you know rules around here are, You can't subdivide and it's unlikely to change because the heritage overlay So, you know, that's that's a risk that is, you know And there's lots of trees around here and it's harder to cut down trees and so that's going to more likely be leafy in the future and um, You know, and so I think you've got to always be thinking about property from a risk point of view and try to manage the risk on the downside Right, um, because that's the best way to sort of maximize the return. I think if you can think like that so i do think risk is so important but um the return is just so unknown like i think covid was a really interesting thing where uh you would think that you know cities would grow the people would want to be working in the city prior to covid um that all the high-paying jobs would be in the city you know you wouldn't expect working from home to be mass um, adopted anytime soon because of you know just it's such a huge shift uh, and that the growth of properties around the city would be the highest but COVID taught us all a lesson it sort of showed that um you know that model's shifted now you know you've got uh, growth in there is still great because of people who do need that sort of flexibility in the city but now it's created opportunities for bigger houses in the suburbs and the sort of regions etc um and so that caught us off guard right I, I think you know we wouldn't have say bet on the the hubs because we didn't think there would be as many or near as much growth as they would be around the city but That taught us and I taught me definitely a big lesson. Um, I was always positive on those areas, but I didn't think in the short term, it'd be a better bet than say around the city. Um,
0: well, there wouldn't have been, I mean, with COVID, the one thing that's been said across so many disciplines around COVID is that it's accelerated 10 years worth of change into one effectively. So, you know, if, yeah, there's, once again, it's the thing that you could never have predicted if you're basing all the inputs are things we already know, of course, you're never going to predict yep. that, you know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, but I, I, I think too, that, it does, you know, beg the question. So when the market's rising, people think the risk is not being in it, right? And so then they pile in buying all sorts of crap and paying, you know, overpaying for, for, you know, B and C grade properties. When the market turns though, they look at the risk and think, oh, the risk is paying too much, right? The risk isn't paying too much. It's still buying the wrong property. Or in this case, in a falling market, it's not buying the right property. That's actually your risk. So it doesn't come down to, paying too much. It's its around, you know, basically understanding the market, understanding, like you say, looking at each individual property for its risk, an area for its risk, the property for its risk, and also your own lifestyle and, and what's important to you and what you need and getting all of those elements sort of right in the right, in the right balance. So on a, on a micro level, on a personal level, You know, that's what a lot of people do when the market turns. They go, right, that's it. I'm going to sit on my hands and wait for prices to fall. But they're they're then thinking, you know, it's like they think so, they think micro in a rising market when they really need to think macro. And I think they do the reverse in a falling market. They need to continue thinking micro.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, the the, you know, getting a quality asset is actually potentially going to get harder. Um because you know if there is any sort of downturn and prices are starting to fall you know the medians are falling even in quality suburbs medians will fall it doesn't mean mm. that the best properties are falling and you know sellers will start saying well the market's not that great at the moment i'm just going to mm. sit on my hands the same, that's what the 2018-19 that period for clients was yep. really tough we had lots of clients pre-approved we bang home quality every day to them and try to convince them not to buy a lot of properties um and you know tell them things they don't really want to hear you know don't validate it if we don't think it's a great asset and you know, at that point in time, it was just, there's not much out there. And then they'd finally find one and then they'd go to it and there'd be 40 people at the auction. And, um, that's the same (laughs) thing that's going to happen. (laughs) Yeah. It's the same thing that's going to happen. I think in the next couple of years, you know, Mm. the, the, the stuff that's not, is compromised, um, is going to sit on the market. We're already seeing that the good stuff's going to get all the buyers and it's going to be harder to buy those because everyone's going to have a crack at that. And it's still going to go for a decent price. I also think that you know, families aren't going to get scared off by rates in the threes, you know. Um, a lot of the people are going in there with big deposits in the upgrader market, um, and, you know, there's a portion of society that's doing very well financially. You know, inflation is also linked to wage increases, and those wage increases aren't even, and some jobs and professions mm-hmm. um, are getting huge wage increases, and some people within those are getting big bumps because they're going up the tree. So I think there's enough quality – demand out there that are at a life stage where they need to make a property move they can't wait five years because of schooling or they don't want to they want that lifestyle benefit and they're not going to get scared off with rates in the threes because they've had 20 30 percent increases to their salary um and well they're
0: probably around last time when rates were up there anyway so you would you know i've been there i've, I've had it i survived it you know i've actually been there with much higher rates you know so it's like a lot of people, I think, are a little bit older. They're actually thinking, well, we've had a lovely time and a lot of people have paid down a lot of debt or they've actually, you know, built up their buffers and their their offset accounts in that time because they've enjoyed the fact that they've they've had su- we've had such low rates. So, no, that's certainly been one of my focuses, to take advantage of that, you know. Um, yeah, I agree. So, yeah. I think you're
1: right. They're, they're looking at the threes and fours and they still think that's cheap because it's only mm-hmm. been a year or two at twos. and you know, that when we were getting, I remember I was got kind of a four-year fixed rate under 4%. We were like, wow, that's amazing. You know, a couple of years ago, <laughs> um, it didn't end up being amazing for clients because rates just completely crashed yeah. as we know. But we were like, wow, that's an awesome rate, you know, and I do think. I know, um, it's all relative. <laughs> yeah, when rates go back, I don't think it's going to stop demand at, you know, the threes and fours. Now, if it gets up to fives and sixes, that's a different sort of journey. But if it gets to that, you'd like to think that the economy is booming. Wage increases are huge, inflation's rampant, um, and you know, that's not a bad thing for property prices, to be honest, um, when you know wage increases are, are pretty massive across the economy and inflation. So um, yeah, I think that's the big risk, is the people that have paid a lot of money last year for compromised assets, the people right now buying in areas where uh, higher interest rates are gonna hit them harder. Um, so a lot of house and land packages A lot of areas where there's a lot of debt with, you know, one income or one and a half incomes because it's a young couple with kids, Um, you know, their jobs and their industries are maybe more affected, whether it's retail with consumer spending or whether it's um, tourism or et cetera. Um, And so, uh, yeah, incomes are already tight. There's not much wage growth. You know, maybe they've only got one salary um, and then if if expenses are going up like petrol prices, et cetera the budget's getting tight and then their mortgage goes up and they start to feel a bit of debt stress. Um, mm. And, you know, in those markets, it, it doesn't take much for supply to increase because there's already a lot of new supply. Plus there's a lot of people, for example, selling. Um, and I do think the few investors that have got, we have one today who's got, you know, four properties um, that are all in the affordability part. And surprisingly, because of low interest rates, they've gone up so much, you know, they weren't ever great assets. They know that, mm. but they've gone up quite a lot just because of low interest rates and i think the danger is that people are going buy in these areas now you know the the logans which we've spoken about for years on here that's surprised how much that's gone up and so um the apartment markets in brisbane you know um it's starting to sort of recover a little bit because it's not that sort of supply overhang it's the dangerous people who go and buy these high density now i'm um, thinking they're going to boom um, and then more stock will come in a few years etc so um, there's lots of parts of the market that are going to get repriced on higher rates. It's just maybe not the the quality assets, which we talk about.
0: And that's probably not one of the three reasons I said that we shouldn't rely on expert predictions, um, but probably should add a fourth in, which is really about that. It's not about, you know, all markets. There's there's markets within markets and you've got much higher risk markets than others. Um, I was talking to a client only yesterday and, you know, there's a massive rental shortage in Perth that I had no idea about you know their vacancy rates gone from five percent down to point six percent and very sharp fall and um so they were looking for their son to uh you know to buy to rent an apartment couldn't find anything so the natural thing was oh well it's cheap to buy an apartment <laughs> and there's lots around they're easy you know they don't cancel open houses on apartments for sale but they do on rentals right oh we'll just buy one and um and I said, okay, before you do that, how happy are you to lose money? Oh, I don't want to lose money, you know, it's property. Mm. Be fine. And I said, well, let me just quickly look up the most recent full or forecaster report, <laughs> you know. <laughs> did you know that in the September quarter, September 2021 quarter, 38% of apartments sold in Perth sold at a loss? Yeah. That's when there's a boom on, it's a massive boom, and 38, mm. that's more than a third selling at a loss so i think i've talked them out of buying i said do whatever you can find some other solution to the problem do not buy an apartment
1: yeah i think now, you're but- right, because i think the, the the investors will get out of poor assets that they know um as soon as they start to see price increases because mm. they don't want to lose money there's always that loss aversion and loss bias so yeah you know if and this is what i think will happen in the brisbane market you know you'll get a lot of investors are just held on to them because they were underwater, for example, for a long time. And as soon as they can get their money back in terms of a dollar back. Not
0: physically. There's, although some of these well, apartments have been underwater too, actually. Yeah, probably the ground Literally. floor and the car parks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And, um, yeah, I mean, I was talking to a client today. The family's all flooded in. It's been pretty horrible mm. um, when you hear the true stories on the on the ground. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, they a lot of supply will come on, you know, like in terms of listings, mm. when, when there's an opportunity, the prices are a bit higher and you can get out. And so I do think these investor little pockets that have gone up a lot because of affordability and low rates, uh, some of the dangerous pockets, plus the expensive compromised properties, um, you just got to be really careful right now that, you know, you don't pay a lot of money for an asset that um, wouldn't, would not hold up well in a downturn. Um, and... Mm. And there's something about it, whether it's, you know, privacy or small bedrooms or the noise or, or something about it that the market's not gonna like. And you go, it will be all right, I'll just buy it anyway. It suits us. It's a risky move at the moment if your life plan changes.
0: I was reading just a comment on one of those Facebook groups it was actually a mortgage broker was talking about a client of theirs that had bought a property that I think they tracked it, I don't have it in front of me, but it was something like over the previous ten years, you know, it had sold a bump the price had bumped around about the two hundred and sixty thousand mark you know bumped yeah bumped around there I think two of the sales have been at a loss you know over that period of time it kept changing hands and then these people have bought it and I think they paid 780 or something and they thought it was a bargain because everything else was selling over 800 in the area and I'm like you've got that's when you look at a track record so we're we talking about economist track record you can also look at properties track record if that is a property I wouldn't touch with a barge pole I don't care how cheap it seems mm. compared to everything else the last owner before this lot they- they're the only people probably that make money on that property ever um- <laughs> but the third reason right that Back to the uh, full or forecast or the bank scorecard, the third reason that we can't rely on economist forecasts is that we forget to hold them accountable. You know, I think, and like you, I think, did you mention earlier or was it off air, you know, Westpac have just released, um, I think, a forecast for 2024. You know, we Here we are in 2022. They can't get the next quarter right. <laughs> Why the hell are they actually <laughs> forecasting out the next year or two years, right? Yeah. And so... You know, you've got and then they adjust and, and it's like and it's like why isn't anyone putting the hand and go, excuse me, excuse me, you said you said in twenty twenty four this was gonna happen. Why mm. did you say that? Why did you publish that? Why did you release that? You know, and and but we forget we are not um we're not actually standing up and saying, you know, stop doing it. Why do yeah. you think this is?
1: Look, I think you're right. Um you know we're just feeding the beast the banks have all got these economists i don't know what they they get out of these reports i feel like they're just um out of date straight away they're sort of interesting but then they're just especially when you focus on the report i mean a lot of the other graphs in there are interesting to sort of track and to sort of get your data points and your reference points and understand you know where wages are and unemployment and it's good to always track these things but i just you know look when you get to the forecast page i think it's always a, a a bit of a a laugh to sort of look at. To be honest, um,
0: <laughs> fiction. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I think it's just they, they never really—they're um, not really. A lot of people think with the bank forecast is that they always want to talk the market up. But what's an interesting thing is that same as real estate agents, you know, they actually want to talk the market down sometimes because that fear of the market falling creates more transactions, and banks see transactions as debt creating events. Usually, the person buying the property takes on more debt than the person selling the property. And so that's how the market goes up. You know, the, the person selling takes their cash and then goes and buys another property. Most of the people leave the money in the property market. Not many people take money out of the property market and put it into shares or super, etc. You know, maybe downsizers do that, but not most people. Most people will take that money and go and buy something else. Um, so what ends up happening every time someone sells, it's usually a, a debt-creating event. That creates credit growth. And then so even if they're thinking the market's going to fall, that encourages more people to sell, more people sell, that's more debt created, that's better for their bank profits. That's the reality of the way the banks think of it. So they don't always have to talk the market up because they can talk people into selling, whether it's through fear or whether it's through, <laughs> um, you know, they think the market's going to keep on rising and people are going to buy. So they're, they're incentivized both
0: ways. I think too, honestly, there seems to be disconnect in terms of the understanding of behaviour, human yeah. behaviour. And, and, and that's what I guess frustrates me. It's like what makes you an expert in the property market? Like, really, yeah. what do you really know about how humans behave in the property market? Yeah. and Because that's fundamentally all it is. I mean, I think the one thing that banks come out with is the the consumer confidence indexes. And I think of all the things that they come out with, to be quite frank, that's it. Yeah. But then you go back to the headlines and do the headlines create confidence or what? You know what I mean? And so it's once they, they're feeding the, the beast themselves, you know. So I think that for me, that's, three bloody good reasons why we should not rely on these forecasts and here we go again when the headlines and the media and blah 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 and it's like well what will be will be (laughs) yeah it will unfold
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i think it's just you know don't be basing your decisions on uh what is potentially going to happen with some type of forecast i think you've just got to focus on terms of the the quality of the asset uh i know we always say that but it's it's true you know and um you know understanding you know definitely protecting yourself from increasing interest rates we've always been saying clients look you know can you afford three and a half four percent um you know you don't want to go and take a big mortgage with no buffer uh, and buy an asset and put yourself into that debt stress if you you know you're really stretching but most clients aren't to be honest mm. most clients are, are already um even at three and a half four percent thinking it's fine um and so yeah it, and it's just sort of not trying to time the market too much it's actually always actually being super selective right now because You know, it's more likely that, you know, that interest rates are going to scare the market. And so buying a poor asset is going to be easier potentially. Um, And just being patient and persistent. We've seen more success this year with clients. It's not our new clients that have been buying, it's the clients who have been, you know, looking for longer than 12 months. They're the ones who Mm. have bought in this last quarter. Um, They've been very frustrated and missing out a lot last year. But then this year, they've been able to make it happen because what they're doing is they've, understood the market, they understand what they want, and they're, they're surprising sellers with sort of offers that, you know, are fair offers on, on decent assets and getting sellers who are a little bit nervous and just catching them off guard. And um, that's what we're seeing a lot of success in is the, the the buyers who have sort of got that research there and they're just sort of catching sellers off guard.
0: I think too that, you know, the buyers that come into the market or or re-enter the property market after Christmas when they've been in it the previous year and it's been a tough year, they are—they have a different resolve to new buyers, you know, and I mean, as long as they're not sort of panicking and just buying whatever, they usually come in focused and, and ready to take advantage of, you know, what they find. And I think that, they ha- that well, there has been more stock on the market this year, so they've been rewarded, you know, for that patience and for all that work that they've done. Um, so, you know, we've got a couple of clients in that category ourselves and i'm looking forward to some really good results you know we've got a few properties in our in our sites at the moment um we're looking forward to some good results for them and and we're always counseling people don't look i know it's tough in a rising market to be patient but don't because you honestly it's those people that desperately jump in and then they turn around afterwards. And a lot of those are the people that overpay for crap assets in the yep. peak of the market. And then they turn around and sell because they bought the wrong thing, yep. you know. So yep. there's lots of reasons not to succumb to FOMO. But yep. um,
1: you got, You're in a lot of debt for an asset that you're not that confident on. You've got a lot of, um, not regret, but you'd probably be a little bit resentful that you probably didn't be a bit more patient because you've already seen property selling this year mm. than you could have potentially bought in budget or, or close to it. Um, and maybe there's more stock on the market. So you know you sort of just you know uh, bought somewhere at the top and you bought an asset that's not that great. And then finally mm. you're an asset that maybe has some type of lifestyle compromise that maybe you didn't need to make, whether it's the road or the noise or um, the light or your neighbour or whatever it is. And you just sort of have to live there and you have to deal with that stressful thing in your lifestyle knowing you've overpaid for a property and it's not where you want to be long term and you know and those have real impacts on your sort of family situation and relationships Mm. and then potentially um you have to sell because things break down and then you have to crystallize a loss stamp duty selling costs etc and this is how it all sort of plays out just all through you know being fomo and then buying a poor asset um
0: and you've got to remember, back to headlines, we're talking about not being swayed by headlines. The headlines were, you know, buy, 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 yeah. hurry, 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 you know. Yeah. So now now if you sort of go, oh, great, I can sit on my hands, that's the, like a, a need the pendulum has to stay in the middle. A smart property buyer's pendulum is in the middle, not being swayed in the direction. Yeah. All right, so you can download the uh, bank scorecard and our full of forecast report for 2022 on the website now. That's... Uh, what is it? <laughs> the elephant in the room.com.au. Uh, thanks for tuning in.
1: Awesome, another um, year of fail, uh, more fools than uh, correct forecasters, I guess, and uh, yeah. we're just to see how uh, this year goes. I mean, everyone's sort of suggesting prices to sort of stay, you know, around that sort of 5 to 10%, um, but it's likely that that's all gonna be wrong, so we're gonna be having the same conversation next year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll try a variation of the theme.
1: Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again.
0: And remember, don't be a Dumbo.